You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Dogen writes, Those who long to leave the world and practice Buddha Dharma should study Zen. So there are two basic ways that we can understand a sentence like this. It's really great. Those who long to leave the world and practice Buddha Dharma should study Zen. The first, maybe a a more traditional way of understanding this, would mean those who wish to leave the, the secular world, what, what in Japanese is called shaba, shaba sekai, and enter into the spiritual world. In other words, who want to become home leavers, who want to become full-time practitioners. If that's what you're going to do, then your target should be Zen practice. The other way to read this is to say, those who have the fool idea that they want to leave the world and just study the Buddha Dharma, instead of doing something like that, they should study Zen. Hmm? I won't pretend to know what Dogen meant. But this longing to leave the world and practice Buddha Dharma, even though in option B it sounds a little funny or it's easy to, uh, to poke fun at it, that's a very serious thing. That's something that, a nat- that arises very naturally in people. And when it does, we need to recognize it and we need to honor it. I can't begin to guess how many times people have come to me and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this full time. I want to do nothing but Zen now. I, I figured it out. I'm into it. This is my life. I see that I don't need other things. This is what I want. And I know most of the time when I hear that, that not only will that not happen, but I probably won't see this person again. It's too much. It's it's too much to take on. And then what do you do? How do you follow up on that conversation? But in the moment that you encounter someone who's feeling that way, you also can't make light of it. Because what they're feeling is powerful. They're feeling this magnetic pull. They, it's, it's a desire to be authentic. It's a desire to live an authentic life. And this looks like the way to do it. To leave home, whether you do it in this traditional sense of becoming a monk or a nun, and disappearing into a monastery, or not. To leave home is to leave what is safe. It's to step away from what you know. It's to step away from the world that you have created for yourself into something else, into a place where something else is asked of you, to agree to do that. If that's what you long to do, if you have that inspiration inside of you, if that's the feeling that is driving you, then Dogen says you should study Zen. 
And again, we have two ways to interpret this. Either he means, don't study any other kind of Buddhism, just study Zen because this is the, this is the best stuff. Or he's using Zen in the way that Zen is used so often, which is as a stand-in for what is true. Study what is true. Dogen was very clear on numerous occasions that what he was teaching was not Zen. He liked the word. But for him, Zen equaled authentic Buddhism. And authentic Buddhism equaled truth. It's all just words. When the Tathagata dwelt in the world, there were neither two teachers nor two masters. The great master Shakyamuni guided sentient beings solely by means of his unsurpassed enlightenment. Which is to say that at the time of the Buddha, it was simple. There was one option. There was one person. And the way that we tell the story, that one person was telling the truth. But now you have to make choices. Now you go around and you audition your teachers. Right? You check them out and you quiz them. And you see how they dress and you see how they act and you read their books and you read their articles and you decide which one is best for you. This was true at the time of Dogen as well. It's more complicated. Ever since Mahakashapa transmitted the treasury of the true Dharma eye, Treasury of the True Dharma Eyes is Shobo Genzo. This is, this is the way that Dogen referred to the, that thing, the thing that is passed on. The 28 generations in India, the six early generations in China, and all ancestors in the five school have in direct succession inherited it without any, any interruption. Consequently, ever since the Putang era of Liang, all those who were outstanding, from monks to kings to retainers, never failed to pay homage to Buddha Dharma. So he's saying you're on safe ground. Indeed, those who are able to love excellence should love excellence. It should not be like Minister Shea's love for a dragon. Those who are able to love excellence should love excellence. This thing that you have, this, this thing he's speaking to that makes you want to just dive headfirst into the Buddha Dharma, that what creates that impulse is also what should inform your ability to discern what is true and not true. That instinct is true but we distrust it and we get nervous. And so he says, it should not be like Minister Shea's love for a dragon. I've told this story before. Minister Shea loved dragons. He loved dragons more than anything. He was, he was like that person who collects unicorn figurines, but it was dragons. He had all of them, he had paintings, he had all the books about dragons. He loved dragons and he knew everything about them. He knew all the lore. And the story goes that there was a dragon who heard about Minister Shea. 
and thought, well, I have a fan. I'm going to go meet him. And one day, Minister Shea walked into his house, and he looked around, and there were all of his figurines and all of his paintings. But looking through the window, sticking in, was the head of an actual dragon. And Minister Shea lost his mind. Or he wet his pants, or he passed out, or however you, you tell the story. He thought that was what he wanted. But when he saw the true thing, he stopped short. He couldn't handle it. And Dogen says, he loves this story. Dogen says over and over, don't be Minister Shea. That love of the dragon, trust that. That's real. But the danger is that you take that love and you use it to create a world around yourself. You say, I love the Buddha Dharma. And then you surround yourself with the Buddha Dharma that you like. Or you surround yourself with teachings that make you feel really good. Or you, you, you get the stuff that sounds a little bit like self-help. It's, it's, it's a pep talk. And you say, I am now completely surrounded by Buddha Dharma. And then something comes, and you're hit with it. Not just the stuff you like, not the stuff that makes you feel good, but the stuff that makes you, that challenge you, challenges you to look at who you are. In that moment, what do you do? Can you confront that? Or is that when you run? In the countries east of China, the net of scriptural teachings covers the oceans and pervades the mountains. Although it pervades the mountains, it lacks the heart of the clouds. Although it covers the oceans, it dries out the heart of the waves. Foolish people are fond of this kind of teaching. Just like taking a fisheye and holding it to be a jewel. Deluded people take pleasure in this kind of teaching, just like treasuring a pebble from Mount Yan as an honored jewel. Many fall into a demon's pit, often destroying themselves. How pitiable. He's talking here about teachers and teachings that are not wrong in themselves, but are also not complete. That don't go to the depths. Perhaps they have a kind of brilliant internal logic. Perhaps they have a, a beauty that's hard to define. Perhaps they speak very skillfully to tools you might use in your everyday life, which is to say they give you something, but they don't take anything away. The clouds are freedom. They represent the realm of non-duality. And so when he says, he says, it pervades the mountains, but it lacks the heart of the clouds. The teachings are big, but they don't, they don't have that essence of non-duality. Although it covers the oceans, it dries out the heart of the waves. And the waves are the vital activity of the teachings. They're big, but they're not alive. 
In a distant country, a mistaken teaching easily spreads, and the correct teaching has difficulty prevailing. That's just true. It's hard. The introduction to the, of Buddhism to the West has been at times rocky. <laughs> We're still watching this process unfold. But if we were to set out to create that Buddhism, if we were to decide, let's make American Buddhism, let's make Western Buddhism, we would fail. That's an act of giving. Let's make something that works for everybody. And it will be exactly the scale and the scope of our own ideas. If we fall into that trap, we won't offer a Buddhism that also takes something away. This was his concern in Japan. Buddhism was not young in Japan at Dogen's time, but Zen was young. And he saw that the Buddhism that had taken root, for him it lacked a certain vitality. When you first enter the gate to study the Buddha way, Listen to the teacher's instruction and practice as instructed. When you do that, there is something you should know. This is good. Dharma turns you, and you turn Dharma. When you turn Dharma, you are leading and Dharma is following. On the other hand, when Dharma turns you, Dharma is leading and you are following. Buddha Dharma originally has these two modes, but those who are not true heirs have never understood it. Unless they are patch-robed monks, they scarcely have heard of it. Without knowing this key, you cannot yet judge how to study the way. How could you determine the correct from the mistaken? This is another kind of thing that we can put on the wall in big letters. The Dharma turns you, and you turn the Dharma. This is guest and host. In any moment, where are you in relationship to the Dharma? If you are simply being led, if you have opened up your heart and your mind and your life, and you have become vulnerable enough for the Dharma to turn you, that's significant. But there's no life to that. And on the other hand, if you take it upon yourself to turn the Dharma, to be the protagonist, without also being turned, you're very limited in what you can do. He's describing something very subtle. It's another way of talking about practice realization and the idea that, that practice and enlightenment are one and the same. 
Hui Neng, the sixth ancestor, he speaks of this as well. He says, when the mind is deluded, it is turned by the Dharma blossom. When the mind is enlightened, it turns the Dharma blossom. And later, in another text, Dogen writes, if you fully practice this, Dharma blossom turns Dharma blossom. On the other hand, those practicing Zen and studying the way are always given this key. So they do not make mistakes. I think he should say, so they should not make mistakes. It's a little confident. Without studying Zen, those who seek the way cannot know the true way. And that's where he stops. The Dharma turns you, and you turn the Dharma. Some people have trouble accepting the first, and some people have trouble believing the second. You have to look and see where your resistance lies. But I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.